weddings, they come with months, sometimes even years of planning. Logistics, decorations, music, dancing, hopefully liturgy. Usually, I think that we know whether or not we're going to a wedding. So when was the last time you attended one completely unexpectedly? It's only happened to me once, about 20 years ago. In my early 20s, I was traveling. I walked from the guest house to one of the local markets in the late afternoon. Crowded alleys brought sensory unfamiliarity, such abundance Spices in big piles to be scooped out into small parcels. Piles of fruits, some of which I did not recognize and could not name. The savory aroma of fresh baked bread, bitter coffee, and then a clothing section with stalls of pants, and then stalls of shirts, and then stalls of shawls. And it was here, amid the shawls, that impeccable English called out to me. And a conversation ensued with a person who looked to be close to my own age. We discussed our respective areas of academic study and chatted easily. Hey, he said, I'm getting ready to close the stall and go to a family wedding. Why don't you come with me? And with some deep-seated southwestern Virginia propriety, I blurted, but I don't have appropriate clothing. Not a problem, he replied. Just come as you are. How little I knew about what I was getting into. Once we arrived, I discovered that the wedding was sex-segregated, and my newfound friend went off with the men. None of the women spoke English, And yet they welcomed me into the fold of dancing and laughing and celebrating the joy and abundance of the banquet, transcending the need for any kind of precise comprehension. But what if, what if someone had come up to me as I arrived, as the king did in today's parable from Matthew, and asked, looking at my casual wear, friend, How did you get in without a wedding robe? Every time I hear this parable from Matthew's gospel, I cannot help but remember my own experience as an unexpected guest, albeit with a very different outcome from that which we heard this morning. How did you get in here without a wedding robe? Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How's that for a welcome? (laughs) I think often our first encounter with this parable leads to discomfort, that the king who might or might not in the parable be meant to stand for God sounds mean, ominous, threatening. Perhaps you're feeling, let's just get to a different part of the service, or maybe the preacher will focus on one of the other readings that's a little more comfortable. 
Or maybe you're wondering, do I really want to follow a God who ostensibly because of someone's lack of appropriate attire casts them into outer darkness? Today's parable from Matthew's gospel has something important to remind us about our lives of discipleship. It's got nothing to do with fashion. It has something important to remind us about our lives as followers of Jesus. That preparedness, readiness in the practice of our lives of faith leads to life. So let's dig in a little more in our parable and see if we can identify not just what's initially off-putting for us, but what might call us into deeper practice. In the narrative arc of Matthew's gospel, Jesus has made his descent, gone from the region of Galilee to Judea in the events that will culminate in his crucifixion. So everything has already been set in motion. And the parable of the wedding banquet we heard today is the third, the last, in a series of three parables that Jesus spoke in the temple to the religious Jewish religious leaders, the religious authorities. Remember, we heard of late the parable of the two sons and the parable of the wicked tenants. Each of these parables is complex, meaty, and it seems to divide folks into two groups, one of whom is worthy of the reign of God and the other, which is not. Parables defy a tidy one-for-one substitution, as much as we might want them to work that way. And sometimes they seek to evoke shock for the very purpose of provoking, of getting us to a deeper truth. So today we hear of a king organizing a wedding feast for his son, servants, share an invitation that is refused. Without explanation, we're simply told the guests wouldn't come. So the king persists with a second invitation. This time, those invited kill the servants who brought the invitation. The king responds with destruction for those who murdered his servants and then sends out another group of servants again and sends them out die exodus. That Greek word indicates the place where a street crosses from the city out into the country. So this time the king is sending folks really, really a long way out. And those who are outsiders are invited to come and share and feast. One of those guests at the feast comes and encounters the king who is incensed that he's not properly dressed. Now, if this seeming lack of hospitality feels preposterous, absurd, if it seems off to you, it's meant to. This is what the parable is trying to do, to get our attention with this absurdity with the idea of being cast into a realm of weeping and gnashing of teeth 
because a dress code memo was missed. Maybe, maybe the reason the guest was cast out was not because he was improperly dressed, but because when he encountered the king, he was unprepared. He was speechless. Is it extreme? Yes. Yes, Matthew's gospel is seeking to use this example to make a point, being always ready to accept the invitation of God matters in God's kingdom. We must always be ready to give an account of the hope that is in us. The sufficient credential for kingdom citizenship is a transformed life. This parable is meant to rouse us to alertness, like like knuckles rubbed on a sternum. To be ready and aware in the life of the kingdom of God, we must live a transformed life. And we transform our lives only insofar as we practice our faith. Practicing begins with the act of worship. It begins with being in the pews, watching on YouTube, and then a transformed life happens in the habits and practices we cultivate. The way we act and reflect on our faith, the way we're changed by it, the way we root our identities ever closer in the heart of the living God. So what does it look like? Maybe it looks like the lives of folks whose names do not roll easily off our tongue, like Clement and Euodia and Syntyche, those disciples Paul references in Ephesians. We don't know a lot about them, but we know that they are co-workers in God's mission. They are active participants. They are cooperating with God. They're sharing in the gentleness that leads to the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Co-workers, co-creators, so too are we. Actions of discipleship prepare us to be dressed and ready to attend a proverbial wedding banquet, even when we don't know we're going to be invited Some actions of discipleship, some things happen quietly. Think of the parish prayer list, prayed regularly and fervently by so many. But I'm thinking in particular of a couple in their mid-90s in one of our retirement communities who do it daily or of the 30 handwritten notes that went out last month from pastoral care leaders to members of our community who were celebrating joys or deep losses. Sometimes these acts of discipleship are audible. Notes sung by our youngest choristers seeking to match pitch and learning that their very breath glorifies God. 
Sometimes these acts of discipleship are loud enough to make you want to cover your ears. Like the thunderous applause at the town council meeting as St. Paul AME's affordable housing project zoning was approved this past week. Like the sound of so many hammers constructing community on a newly prepared land at Habitat's Weaver's Grove. One of our parishioners there reflected on the profound experience of serving alongside others that day, of building community at so many levels, and that the act of serving in the world makes sense of what we do at the altar, how we live our lives. It offered him for the first time a sense of place, belonging, home in this community. So how are you practicing your faith? How are you putting it into action quietly, mellifluously, loudly? Because there is a banquet prepared, and we know not when we will receive an invitation. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at The Chapel of the Cross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C, Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.